0: So we've got a couple of readings tonight. Um, The first reading is from Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. So if you've got one of the church Bibles with the black cover, that's found on page 48. Otherwise it will also be up on the screen. So Exodus 6, beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses... Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession." I am the Lord. And then our second reading comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. So if you've got a black church Bible, that's on page 944. So Galatians 3, beginning at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written... For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Thanks, Tash. Let's take a moment to pray as we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, thanks that you uh, speak words of life and hope and truth to us. Uh, Would you give us open hearts to know you better as we uh, reflect on your word now? Amen. Raju was a 12-year-old boy who enjoyed his schooling and loved his family. His family lived in desperate poverty, uh, affected by disability And so when a local farmer offered Raju work during his holidays, they jumped at the opportunity. But their joy turned to despair when Raju never came home. Instead, he spent the next eight years in forced labour, a type of modern slavery where people, often children, are held against their will, often lured by a tempting offer, but they're made to work for next to nothing. Uh, that it's justified as being to pay off a supposed debt uh, that is astronomically high and impossible to pay off. And so vulnerable and without help, Raju had nowhere to turn. Even though he tried to escape, each time he was dragged back and the conditions and the beatings got worse. His situation is a modern-day example of slavery, of the kind of situation that led to our reading from Exodus 6, where we see uh, that God is the Redeemer. God reveals something really significant about himself. uh, Tonight is our final week in our series. Like Rosie said, uh, in our series, God Is, We Are, each week we've reflected on a different aspect of God's identity and how that's good news for us and changes who we are. In week one, we saw how God, the Creator, makes us in his image To reflect who he is. In week two we saw how God the Father adopts us as his children through faith in Christ. Gives us a place in his family. Week three we saw how the Holy God shares his holiness with us. And cleanses us from all evil and shame and defilement. And last week Ali preached to us about how God is love. And how he generously pours his love into our lives. And as Rosie said, uh, some of you have submitted questions. Thank you for those. And we're going to, uh, Ali and I are going to have a crack at uh, some of them. Those that have been uh, voted up to the top later in the service. Um, so stay tuned for that a little later on. Tonight we're looking at how God is the redeemer. Uh, the one who rescues us. Twelve-year-old Raju needed Redemption. He needed redemption from slavery on that farm. Uh, So too did the people in Exodus 6. In that case, it wasn't just a single child. It was a whole people group. The the Hebrews, the descendants of Abraham who were in slavery. Their ancestor Abraham had received a promise from God, a, a covenant, a binding commitment, that he would be blessed by God, that he would have a large family of descendants, a land of their own, and that they would be a blessing to all the people of the earth. And you can read about that in Genesis, uh, particularly chapter 12. But a few hundred years after Abraham, this is not the situation. They are not experiencing their land and their blessing. Instead, they're enslaved in Egypt. They're compelled to do hard labor. They're making bricks. They're not even given raw materials to start with. And their sons are purged. They're suffering in slavery and they're powerless to save themselves. God's promises of blessing seem a million miles away. But we're told God remembers his people. He remembers his promise to them. He doesn't forget them. He promises to redeem them, to to rescue them out of this desperate, helpless situation. He says to them in verse 6, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God remembers his promise to Abraham, and he makes a new one here to rescue his people, to redeem them from slavery. Now, when you're stuck in slavery, this is what you need. When you're powerless to save yourself, you don't need someone telling you uh, how to kind of improve your situation or look on the bright side and make the best of it. You need someone to rescue you. And that person needs two things. Firstly, they need to be powerful. Look at how many times God emphasizes his power and his might in that passage in Exodus chapter 6. He refers to his mighty hand twice in verse 1. In verse 2, he is God Almighty. And in verse 6, we see why God needs to be powerful, because rescuing Israel will will require mighty acts of judgment. God is going to use his power to execute justice against Pharaoh to, to judge him for enslaving his people. God needs to be powerful because slave masters, you might know this, they're not typically inclined to let their slaves go, right? They don't just say, oh, you want to leave? Oh, I didn't realise, I'm so sorry. Yes, that's fine, off you go. Do they? Slavery works because the master has the power to compel the slave to stay and to work. And so it's going to take a greater power to judge the slave master. To compel them to release the slave. But great power isn't enough. You also need compassion. Because if God didn't care about his people, if God uh, didn't have compassion for them, then it wouldn't matter how powerful he was, he wouldn't rescue them. But that's not the case. God does listen to his people. In verse 5, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. God hears their groaning and their suffering. He remembers his commitment to them. He doesn't close his ears or turn away, he listens to them. He hears, he acts with power and with compassion. And as you read on in Exodus, uh, you see God deliver on this commitment. He uses his mighty power to defeat and to judge Pharaoh. And at the same time, he shows his compassion to rescue his people through that judgment. And he brings them into new life. He redeems them for himself to be his beloved people. He gives them a new life. And as he does this, we see something so important about God. We see that he is the God who redeems he is the Redeemer, the one who rescues from slavery with power and with compassion. Because this is what redemption is all about. It's rescue from bondage for a new life, from bondage for new life by a powerful and compassionate Redeemer. It's what those Hebrews needed. It's what Raju needed. And the scandalous claim of the Scriptures is that it's what you and I need. The Bible says we need redemption, each one of us. That means that God's verdict on us is that without his intervention, you are enslaved and powerless to save yourself. Powerless to escape. I want to let that just settle in for a moment. God's word claims that all people need redemption. How does that sit with you? I suspect for some of us we know this is true. Maybe you're trapped in your circumstances. You can't see a way out. It might be addiction or unemployment or debt. It might be mental illness. This can be one of the features of depression that uh, we feel trapped and you can't actually see any options for change or escape. Some of us know we need to be rescued. And if that's you, God sees you in that. He has power for you and he has compassion for you in that. Others of us, however, bristle at the idea we need to be rescued. I'm not a slave. I'm free and independent. I'm not subservient to anybody. I make my own decisions. Don't you? But the Bible's claim is not just about our circumstances, it actually goes deeper. It says that our hearts, our minds, our wills are enslaved by sin. What does this mean? Well, it means that sin is a power that holds us captive. It's not just some small naughty acts that we might commit from time to time. It's a power that, that grabs our heart, that shapes our desires and directs our decisions. and It leads us to live lives for ourselves uh, or perhaps for for family or for friends or for career or for experiences, for anything else, actually, other than God. And because we're living for that other thing, for, uh, for something else more than God, we actually become enslaved to that thing. We, we believe that that is what we really truly need, not God. So we become enslaved to it and we're unable to please God. We might still try to please God. We might try to be good and to follow the law. This is kind of the religious way to be enslaved to sin. Uh, Here's what Galatians says about that in verse 10. It says, All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So here's the problem if you're trying to please God by keeping laws. You can't do it. You can't do it. As much as your life might look good, do you really love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength? Do you truly love your neighbour with the same urgency and compassion with which you love yourself? I don't. Trying to please God by being religious uh, and and following laws is is a recipe not actually for pleasing God, but for being cursed, it says, for enslavement. Uh, Imagine with me for a moment a person who comes over to your house. Uh, You've got some lovely flowers growing in the front garden and they pick some of your flowers and then they turn to you and say, Oh, look, I bought you some nice flowers. Are you impressed? And Maybe it's a nice sentiment, but uh, actually, they're claiming as theirs to give something that, that really belongs to you. Uh, and by breaking it off, well, now they've killed it and they could have left it on the bush for you to enjoy. Isn't that kind of what we're doing to God? We offer him our gifts and our good deeds as though they're ours, when really we can only do them because he created us in the first place and gave us the breath to breathe and the opportunity to do those things. It's all his to start with. I don't think we're, we're going to impress him. That's the, this is the religious approach to trying to escape from slavery to sin. It's kind of like trying to climb a greasy pole. Escaping from sin in our own strength by being good, it, it doesn't work. Uh, but then there's others of us, uh, this is not what we believe or what we try and do. We're not trying to uh, religiously escape slavery to sin. We're actually trying a different approach, uh, what you could call the irreligious escape from sin. We reject the whole idea of a law that governs us. Because the law itself is the problem, right? Right? And so we overthrow uh, the law. We reject that kind of external authority that might uh, lay a claim on me. And so we can say, I'll be free. I'll decide for myself what's good and bad, what's right and wrong. I'm the supreme legislator and judge, as it were. We use our autonomy to try to escape sin by denying it. And perhaps for a while we think we've been successful, but autonomy brings in other problems. Uh, Firstly, it traps us in loneliness. Because if you make the sole authority uh, in your life yourself, if you are the sole authority, then what place is there for other people in your world? Either they'll be a threat to you because they uh, might have different views of what is good and bad, Or you can admit them to your friendship only while they agree with you. And so your community relies on everyone agreeing. But when everyone is their own individual moral judge, that's incredibly fragile. Your community won't have deep roots. And you'll actually be trapped in loneliness, living at arm's length from people, lest their autonomy threatens yours. The second problem with autonomy is that it actually overestimates our ability to choose and to do what's good. Uh, How often I've thought to myself, wonderful, I've got a few spare quiet minutes to sit down and do something restful or worthwhile um, and just to have a little mental break. And then uh, 10 minutes later, or maybe it's half an hour, I realised I've fritted it away in scrolling through Facebook or down some rabbit hole on YouTube and I can see a couple of knowing smiles, right? We're, We're lured and influenced far more than we would care to admit. We actually need to have some helpful boundaries and limits to our autonomy. Boundaries that are going to help us flourish, limits that... At first glance, might seem like they reduce our freedom, but actually help us to flourish and to make the most of our freedom. Limits that help us choose what's best. We need some constraints on our autonomy. So the religious version of escaping from sin doesn't work. You can never be good enough. And this irreligious approach of autonomy doesn't work. Because it leads to being trapped in loneliness, it overestimates Uh, your power to choose what is good. And in fact, I'd add, if there is a God, if there is a God to whom we're accountable, it actually leaves you awfully exposed as a a usurper, as someone trying to claim his throne by making yourself the chief authority in your life. So neither of these approaches are going to work. And in fact, this shouldn't really surprise us because... Uh, Each of these approaches relies on our own efforts and putting ourselves in uh, as the one who's going to save us. But if we're truly enslaved by sin, well, we're not going to be able to rescue ourselves. We're going to need a powerful and compassionate redeemer, aren't we? We're going to need someone who can judge sin and rescue us. We need to be rescued. This is very different. It's not trying to save ourselves by being good and it's not simply casting aside the law and being our own judges. It's actually relying on a redeemer who is both powerful enough and compassionate enough to rescue us from sin. It's kind of humbling, isn't it? To be in a position where your freedom depends on someone else. Raju can't save himself from slavery. The Hebrews couldn't save themselves from slavery in Egypt. If you're drowning at sea, you've been sucked out by a rip. You can't save yourself. All you can do is to wave and call out and hope that the lifesavers will see you. To hope that they'll have compassion and that the little red dinghy will come flying over the waves to rescue you. And if it does, if the lifesavers appear, what are you going to do? Will you keep thrashing around in the water and trying to save yourself and swimming to safety? Are you going to say, oh, thanks for coming, but it's fine. I've got it from here. I'm all good. I can swim. No, you're going to do exactly as they say. You're going to let them help you into the boat. You're going to lie down and let them drive. You're going to say thank you probably more than once. You're going to be eternally grateful for this new lease on life. In fact, it might be the start of a lifelong friendship. I imagine that a really incredible bond would form between you and them uh, that would always be there after that. In Raju's case, it wasn't a red inflatable dinghy. Uh, It was a team of government officials, police and lawyers and social workers from international justice ministries. They came to his rescue. They freed him from slavery. They... Uh, Judged his oppressor and they set him up in a new life. And then they shared his story. And what about for us? Will you cry out to God for rescue? Don't keep thrashing around and trying to save yourself. Cry out to our powerful God for mercy. He is powerful and he is compassionate and he has sent his son to rescue you. Galatians 3.13 from our reading says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. Jesus has come to rescue you. He, he took your place. He took the curse that was yours and made it his own. That's how much he loves you. That's his compassion for you. And, and he's powerful. Uh, this curse couldn't hold him. He died on the cross, yes, and then he rose to life again. He defeated death. He defeated the power of sin that enslaves you. And if you call out to him for mercy, freedom is yours. A new life of blessing is yours. As verse 14 puts us, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Remember that blessing that God gave to Abraham, that he would be blessed, that he would have a land and be a blessing to the whole world? Well, because of Jesus' rescue, that blessing isn't just for Abraham's children now. It's for Gentiles, it's for non-Jews as well. It's for you and for me and for all who call out to Jesus for rescue. We are rescued people and we have a new life to live. And so now there's a deep bond between us, a lasting friendship with Jesus. We're no longer enslaved. And nor do we just sort of flip over and become oppressive slave masters either. It's actually just a whole new paradigm. We are friends of God. We are loved by him. We're children of God. And it says he gives us the promise of his spirit. He gives us his powerful spirit that we might resist uh, any ongoing power of sin in our life. And so we might enjoy his presence with us always. We're bound to him. Well, friends, if God is the Redeemer, then you and I and all who trust in Jesus are fundamentally rescued people. That's core to who we are if we trust in Jesus. And how do rescued people live? Well, firstly, we live with gratitude. Can we ever thank God enough? Can we ever pay him back? No. and He doesn't ask us to. He gives us new life as a gift and he asks us to walk with him, to enjoy our new freedom with him. It gives us a whole new outlook on life when everything is a gift. It transforms our outlook with gratitude. Secondly, we also live boldly. We we live with hope and courage and boldness because we've seen God's power to rescue even us. And so we live with hope that he can do the same, that he can rescue others from slavery to sin as well. Sometimes I worry we're a bit pessimistic about this. We don't want to hope too much or ask too much because well, what if God doesn't do what we ask and we're disappointed or he doesn't seem to show up. But what if we prayed bolder prayers? What if we did outreach ourselves in hope and boldness? Because we can live with a bold expectation that God can rescue people out of addiction, out of mental illness, out of debt and unemployment, even from sin and judgment itself. God can rescue people from anything that ensnares us. And he may do those things now in our lifetime and he may work through ordinary means and uh, established science and healthcare or he may wait until Christ returns when all evil powers are finally judged and defeated, when our bold hope will be realised But sooner or later, there will be no more slavery or oppression. Sin's days are numbered. God's freedom will reign, and you and I, along with thousands of rescued people, will sing the praises of our great Redeemer. So let's be bold in praying that we would see God's redemption and power at work in new ways. Friends, God alone is the great redeemer. He alone has the power to save because he alone is the holy creator. He alone has the compassion to save. A father's love wide enough for the whole world. And if we trust in Jesus, his redemption has transformed us. Every part of who we are, we are rescued people. So let's pray boldly. Let's do that now. Our awesome Father, we thank you and praise you for your power and compassion that you are a redeeming God. We thank you for showing your uh, awesome redemption uh, in the the story of the Exodus. Uh, We thank you for showing your power to redeem on the cross. Freeing from slavery to sin all who turn to Christ and trust in him. And God, we ask that you would show that power in new ways. Uh, we bring before you those in our, lo- in our life who we know that are in need of uh, redemption, of freedom. And Heavenly Father, perhaps there are some of us here who are asking you for the first time for redemption, we are looking for Jesus and asking to be saved from the power of sin. Thank you that Christ became cursed for us, that we might be blessed. Thank you that he has redeemed us through his death on the cross. We turn away from sin and we look to him. Would you help us to live the new life that he saved us for in the power of your spirit. We look forward to that day when we'll see the fullness of your redemption and your freedom in every way. In Jesus' name, Amen.